0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Dr. Dave Smith, Senior Pastor of Kingsgate Community Church. Dr. Dave Smith, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you, Jay John. So good to be with you. <laughs> I, we've known each other oh a few decades, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's been an amazing it's, journey, and we've ministered together. Yeah. And you've we've had been, lots of fun. You've been a great friend to us and also to Kingsgate over many, oh, many years. We've loved our visit. Yeah. Well, let's start with your own faith. Yes. You, were you brought up as a Christian? I was
1: brought up in a secure Christian home. My dad was a vicar. Um, he eventually became a bishop in the Church of England and so I have had church all the way through my childhood. I, you, you probably know Lee Abbey I actually grew up for six years in the Abbey, which is a Christian community. So I was surrounded by church and Christianity, but I think I probably had an intellectual faith, but not a personal faith. So it made no difference to my life at all. had a massive teenage rebellion and um, went up to Oxford to study history. Uh, And then basically my two goals, one was to have a great time and then second was to study. And some friends uh, invited me along to a church in the centre of Oxford, you know it well, Dates.
0: Yes. And well, I was, M- Michael Green
1: was the minister. He was at the time, yeah. So I went all the way through the service, can't remember the preach, didn't really connect at all. And then we were singing the final hymn. And as we were singing that hymn, I suddenly, for the first time in my life, I sensed the presence of God. And I knew it was the Lord. It was like I felt like this fiery love come all over me. And it was as if the the Lord was knocking on the door of my heart, saying, I want want you to come home. Um, But being stubborn and not wanting to change my life, it took me another eight months and I eventually surrendered my life to the Lord. It was like, and you've used this illustration many times, it was like I gave him the keys to my life and said, Lord, I've been driving for the last 19 years, but I invite you to take over. And again, it was just like I sensed this incredible presence of God sense of love, a sense of joy and peace. I felt like I was being washed on the inside. And I think for the first time in my life, I, I somehow knew that I was born for purpose. So that was at 19, changed everything. Changed everything. I'd Isn't everything. it
0: interesting, Dave, how yeah. you had that experience at St Audate's Church, Yes, and yet you postponed I've, your I've, surrender to Jesus. Totally. I, th- I
1: think part of it was I, I kind of knew enough to know it meant an all or nothing. So I was living a lifestyle that I knew wasn't according to the Bible. Yes. I knew I'd have to make changes. I mean, I, I, my wife, Karen, we were in a relationship before we came to faith, so we had to make some changes. I was involved in a drinking culture, whole bunch of stuff. And I think I somehow knew that this wasn't gonna be just a quick fix. This was an all or nothing. And um, so, so, yeah, so I held out. But I'm, in one sense, I'm glad when I did make the decision, it wasn't just a kind of a token thing, it was literally a whole life surrender, which was amazing. And it transformed your life? Completely, completely. I remember going back, so this was Easter 1983, when I gave my life to the Lord. I came back to college, and all my drinking buddies, and you know, I was quite well-known, not in always a great way, in college. And every, people, without me saying anything, said, what's happened to you? It was obviously even my countenance had changed. So, so it had a massive impact on me. Th- they could tell. They could tell, just, just looking at me, without, without me saying anything, people started saying, what's happened to you? And then I was able to start sharing my faith. And some of my friends came to the Lord as well, which was wonderful.
0: Dave, what would you say to anyone who's listening in on this conversation now? They have had a similar experience of the Lord, but they haven't yet surrendered from your experience, what would you say to them? I would say
1: open the door as quick as possible. Um, but I do think it's important to count the cost as well. I think it's important that, um, you know, Jesus doesn't want to be in the back seat. He wants to be right in the front seat in charge. But I can honestly, I've, tra- I've tried life both ways. I've tried life going my way and I've tried life Jesus way. And sometimes it costs, but I want to tell you it's worth it beyond measure, not just for this life, but for all
0: eternity as well. Well, that is an encouragement. So keep listening in and we'll give you an opportunity to make that commitment like Dave did. You graduated from Oxford. Yes. You stayed on. I did. And did a doctorate. What did you do that in? I studied um, an
1: 18th century evangelist called George Whitfield. At the time, I went to one of my tutors and he he was a Wesleyan Methodist. And I was interested in revival by then I had a love for history because that's why I did my first degree in. And he said, well, Wesley's been done many, many times. But there's a, there's a guy who was equally influential in his own way, George Whitfield. Why don't you study Whitfield? He's not been done much at all. So I had an amazing three years full time, basically going around England, Wales, Scotland, the American colonies and looking at sort of, where Whitfield was influential as you know he was like the catalyst for like one of the biggest it was known as the great awakening Awakening. and he was like the human catalyst like he the spirit of God was so on in that when where he went places suddenly like revival broke out so I was immersed in all this kind of revival stories for three years full-time took me another four years after that to finish off part-time but it, it was just an incredible privilege and I think something about um, seeing what God did back then, I think has put in me just a faith and a hunger and an expectation and a desperation that we need God to do something again, again, today, yeah, in this nation and throughout the nations, almost like a global outpouring of the Spirit.
0: So you graduate, yeah. you get your doctorate and you and Karen get married. We do. And how does the Lord guide you?
1: So so I was in this big student church, amazing, amazing church. Very grateful when I look back for those kind of, I suppose, evangelical, charismatic roots in the Anglican Church. <clears throat> but I think at the time I, I felt the, like the Lord was just calling me to something, for me, more radical. So I, I ended up in this small little house church outside Oxford did crazy things like got baptised in a bath and all, you know, so it was, I think it was just a sense of I needed to go full out for God just yeah. like I've been full out for sin and for kind me of, that... Yeah, very adventurous. Exa- exactly, yeah. adventurous and um, so we connected this small church. Then when I started to finish my uh, sort of full-time studies, the person who was involved in helping lead that church and oversee it basically invited us to come over and start a church in the east where they were based and so we ended up in Peterborough. Um, we knew nothing about the city, um, culturally completely different to Oxford. It was flat, uh, you know, there was a ring road and a passport office. We had no family or friends and we got almost like sort of planted into this city, very unchurched city um, and very little leadership training. Um, we had a word from God. The w- we, somebody gave us a prophecy as we were kind of travelling up from Oxford to Peterborough on, on, on our kind of move there. And the word was, think big or you'll limit me. Wow. Yeah. Think big. Think big, or you will limit me. Because there's no is, limits to God.
0: No, which is a word we all need to hear.
1: It is. And I think, I, I actually felt something, you know, I, did, I think as Brits, we don't always nest, you know, we like to keep things small, don't like, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, all that kind of, but I actually felt the Lord say, I want you to kind of go in with a, a spirit of faith and expectation. Don't limit yourself and what you're going to do by limiting me. And so. Little did I know how much we'd need that word. <laughs> so we, we started with nine people in our living room and everything... What ab- year was that? That was 1988. Okay. So everything about those first four years was tough. Um, we had virtually no money. We, we had to buy virtually the, the cheapest property in the whole of Peterborough. It was like crumbling or, around us. We're bringing up a young family. <clears throat> I was doing a teaching job, trying to finish the thesis and worst of all the church wasn't growing and so for the first time in my life I thought, I felt like I am failing at this thing. I remember handing my resignation to the Lord and saying, Lord I can't build this church (laughs) and I didn't hear an audible voice but I sensed God saying, well I'm glad we've got that one settled, it's his job to build the church. So so I think there was something dying in me of a self-sufficiency and I had to learn dependence on God I would describe that as a season of root work rather than fruit work. If you'd come to us, there was hardly anything going on above ground, but there was a lot going on under the surface. God was deepening our foundations. He was basically saying, do you believe me or do you believe the circumstance? Do you believe what I've said to you? Do you believe the call on your life? And we had to say, yeah, we do believe you, God. Um, so, so we we first 18 months, we, there was nine of us. <clears throat> we grew up to 15. And then we had what I call a backdoor revival. And we went down to six. So 18 months in, there were six of us. There was Karen, myself, our baby daughter, Emily, and three other people who were not leaders. And so it felt like we had to start all over again. But I think we just, we just hung in there. We, we had to hold on to the promises of God. God was dealing in, with us in preparation for what he wanted to do through us. And then, after four years, made a decision to leave my teaching job, uh, sort of secular teaching job in a, in a school, and um, take a step of faith to go full-time. They 25 at the time and there was no salary. So, so that was
0: a big step. It was
1: a massive step of faith and I wouldn't recommend it unless you've heard from God. So no
0: income for your family?
1: No, 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 nothing, no nothing there. And no salary from
0: the church? Well, No, there, there wasn't enough people there. No, to, there to wasn't, get, to no, generate it. No, exactly. So,
1: so we took that step of faith, went away on holiday for a week, came back and four families joined the church and with kids and whatever, the church doubled overnight and so by September when we, the, the money ran out from teaching, basically the salary was there, not a massive one but enough to... Sufficient. Sufficient. And then we sort of, I think it was almost like that step of faith, almost like triggered a whole season of blessing and growth. Almost like for 15 years, we just, we seemed to come under God's favour. People started travelling in from the surrounding region. Lots of different nationalities joined the church. And we kind of went on this sort of crazy faith journey of sort of, we'd hire a community hall, outgrow that, then another community hall, then a school, then we'd outgrow that, move to another one. Then we moved to the largest rented facility in the city, which was the regional college. And we ended up rammed in three services, having to sort of have screens out in the dining room. It was just just crazy. And, and we felt the Lord saying, now's the time. You focused on the people, because that's the priority ministry is about to people. And then we had, again, another prophetic word, which is it's time to buy land. And so we went on this sort of search for land that so that we could build our own building. All kinds of setbacks, you know, I, it, it would make your hair stand on
0: end if I told you some of the stories. But basically, Um, Because normally there isn't land available. No. And even if it is available, there's quite a lot of bureaucracy. Oh, well, we went for one site that was a six acre site, raised money for
1: it, prayed over it. Fortunately, we never said to the congregation, thus saith the Lord, this is the land. Otherwise we would have been in trouble. We said, you know, this seems good. And we went to planning permission and we got turned down. So we had to let that site go. Um, We found another site that was 12 and a half acres so that's double in a much better location long story short we went back to planning by this time we were really um we were doing lots of community work so we got favor with the MP the opposition candidate and the city council and we went back to planning and won it 9-0 so that was a sense of Amazing. great rejoicing and then as you know we, we then went on an incredible faith journey of people sacrificially giving, the Lord miraculously providing, and then we were able to build the building that we're now still in. And how much did that building cost? <clears throat> I, I think, if, if I remember rightly, I think that the total project with the land was seven and a half million. So that, back in? Uh, well, we moved in in 2006. Yeah. And, and we didn't have any, it's like we didn't have any assets. It's not like we had a smaller building that we were able to so- sell. We, we yeah, were literally you, went from ground yeah, zero. Yeah, because you
0: were moving from rental to totally. rental.
1: Totally. So we went from that to what is, well, will be an 1800 seater with, you know, all kinds, as you know, different floors and
0: land that we can still expand to. So yeah, it wasn't like we took little incremental steps. Amazing. I liked what you said, Dave, earlier on, the root, there was a season, Mm. the root, God was working at the roots, not the fruit. Not the
1: fruit, 100%. Yes. And that's why I've never, you know, as tough as it was, it was tough for Karen as well, you know, sort of on our own in this big city, and you know, in in a pretty derelict kind of <laughs> two-bedroom terraced house that we were in. So there was nothing kind of naturally that was appealing about that season. But I look back, and many of our greatest lessons, including having just to pray in money every every month. I mean, we literally there's there's one occasion when we'd, we we made a commitment. Other than our mortgage, we were not going to borrow a penny. Even you know, so we we gave generously, but we're like we're not going to borrow. And so Karen had literally, we'd run out so that she didn't have any, even any sort of formula milk for, for Emily. Yes. And we're like, we're not going to borrow Lord, we trust you, we pray. And I think she needed something like £9.6p. Anyway, through the letterbox came this envelope, not with a cheque, because we wouldn't, it would have been too late to cash it or whatever. £9.6p cash just came through the letterbox. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly, what needed, exactly what we needed. And so, so when, you, when, you, when you see God come through with a £9.6p, it takes as much faith for that as to believe for millions of pounds for a building project. And so some of those little faith journeys, some of that learning to stand against discouragement and fear and a sense of, you know, almost like <clears throat> overwhelming failure, knowing to almost like we're in a spiritual battle here, meant that then later on when you're fighting more obvious, bigger public battles, you, you've done some stuff in private.
0: Absolutely. So
1: yeah, so that was the root work season and um, we're very grateful for it.
0: One of the um, incredible things is that my wife's uncle and auntie visited your church and uh, you have parking spaces for newcomers Yeah. and they walked into church and they were greeted by someone and uh, told about the church, taken into church beautiful hospitality. Anyway, a month later they yeah. decided to visit the church again and when they walked in through the doors, someone's actually greeted them by their name Yeah. because they remembered. Yeah. You've cultivated beautiful hospitality. So has that always been at the heart of what you've tried to do?
1: Well, I think, it yes, it has. But we've also had some incredible people join us who I think have gifts of hospitality in their own homes. And they've kind of brought that spirit of welcome um, into the mix. So, I mean, Karen and I would be the first to say, you know, we obviously have a leadership point role, but we're surrounded by incredibly gifted, loving God-centered missional people. And so, you know, credit to amazing team who've sort of cultivated that kind of environment. And that's back to this sense of, we want to create a home where people can come home and meet with the Lord. Now that's not the end of evangelism, as you know. In the recent years, we've had this phrase about wanting to equip kingdom ambassadors, people to sort of go back into their workplace and their neighborhoods. That's the kind of going out bit. And I think if we can have this balance between welcoming people in getting them equipped, filled up, healed up, and then go back out again. Then I, I love this kind of dynamic of coming in and going out, coming in and going out. And um, yeah, it's a both that kind of model.
0: You've written quite a, a few books, uh, Dave. Yeah, in my spare time. In yeah. your spare time. <laughs> and I I've really, I have read several of your books. In fact, I read one um, in manuscript form. And you helped me massively on it. Thank you. I it Kept me out of heresy mm-hmm. and... Well, some, made it read well. No, sometimes it's good getting a second opinion. <laughs> no you, it? honestly,
1: it was seriously it, wasn't, but it was. but this great one
0: help. here, Dave, God's plan for your well-being. Yes, tell us about that. What prompted you to do this one?
1: Well, about five years ago, um I was actually meeting some church leader friends uh, and they talked about how they'd navigated a massive sort of leadership transition and crisis, and they'd met up with a spiritual director and a Christian counsellor and his words to me was if we hadn't connected with these people We might not have survived. Yes. and at the time I thought well, I'm not in crisis mode But I just sensed a prompting from the Lord. I want to take you on a deeper journey Now if you look if you see me, I mean, you know many years five years ago I wasn't dysfunctional. I wasn't in a bad place, but when we started connecting I started connecting with a spiritual director Karen and I started meeting with the Christian Counselor, not because we had a bunch of issues, although it's important if we do have issues to get help. But I started realising that there were deeper areas that God wanted to take me spiritually. And there were some things emotionally that he wanted to free me from. So being a kind of fairly full on, adventurous, gung ho kind of person, there's a drive, which is God given, but the, other, the shadow side can be a drivenness That for me was rooted in a kind of fear of failure Yes, and it was only when I started kind of meeting and praying God started saying I want to free you from a fear of failure and so I just had this incredible kind of journey of just a deepening of the love of God and knowing that my well-being and my identity was nothing to do with how well the ministry was going or how well I was achieving it had everything to do with his unconditional love and so, so I started going on this deeper well-being journey. And then I started studying things like, you know the story of Elijah in yes. 1 Kings 19, how you know 1 Kings 18, he's like, I mean, seeing massive things, you know, fire from heaven, <clears throat> rain coming. He's out running the king's chariot. And then if you take out the chapter divisions, in a few verses later, he's suicidal, depressed in the okay. desert. And I thought, what's gone on there? He's, he's almost allowed like his tanks to go right down. I think he was physically exhausted, he looks like he was emotionally done, yes. he thinks God's left him, he's on his own, he's relationally depleted, he's, he's destitute, he's in the desert and he, he's given up and I started, I felt the Lord started speaking to me about areas of our well-being, those of six areas, physical emotional, spiritual, vocational, financial and relational and I started sharing with other leaders about my own journey and saying hey let's think about the dashboards, if I said to you right you've got a dashboard on your car, Um, how many of those dials are in the red zone, how many are amber and how many are green and so started just sharing relationally with other leaders and thought, this is really helpful and then out of that I started looking at the Bible and realised that this word well-being that the culture goes on about, I mean everything is about wellness and well-being, I actually started thinking that biblically there's a word that covers all of that and it's shalom. Absolutely. The biblical shalom is not, a biblical peace is not just I feel at peace in my mind, it means well-being in every area of life and so basically wrote the book and partner with Hope and Kingsgate and we've been sort of running this well-being campaign Many churches have picked up on it. And the good news is it's almost like a ripple effect. We've actually started running well-being in the community too. Great. And people are not yet Christians. Some of them are more interested first in their well-being than they are about who is Jesus. Yes. So they come on the well-being and then we can start introducing them to Jesus.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I had no plan to write a book. I was not expecting, but it, it almost came from a deepening of God's work in my own life that we started running in the church and now it's beginning to, as it were, ripple out to others as well, which is...
0: What would you say, uh, Dave, to anyone who's feeling they're in the wilderness now and it's really hard? What would you say to them? <clears throat> well, again, I, I would if, if you know if you've got a Bible, I would probably go to One Kings
1: chapter nineteen because it's an incredible story of how God <clears throat> doesn't leave Elijah depleted. He he sends an angel to him. You know, maybe he'll send you an angel. He ministers to his physical well-being. First thing. Um, the, the angel says to him basically is have, have some food and he allows him to have a sleep. So sometimes the best thing we need to do is have a good nap and have a good meal. And then he starts ministering to him, he calls him to come up to the mountain. So I think I would say, don't give up. God is committed to your replenishment and well being, he wants to refresh you and replenish you. You can do practical things, but he's committed to your well being and your restoration.
0: Dave, as you said earlier, at the end of every sermon that you give, you always give people an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Yes. So if there's anyone listening in now who may have had those experiences that you had, but then you postponed, would you give them an opportunity to encounter the Jesus that we've been talking about? Yeah, I'd love to.
1: Yes, so if you're watching and that is where you're at right now, and you kind of know, that Jesus has been knocking, as it were, on the door of your heart. I just want to encourage you right now. Um, the fact that you're watching this, I believe, is no accident. He loves you and he wants to give you an opportunity right now to open up the door of your life to him. So you might just want to close your eyes, <clears throat> might just you know, put your hands out in an attitude of receiving and just ask the Lord to come in. You know, If you're aware of stuff in your life that you know has displeased God, just ask him to forgive you. But then just, as it were, position yourself for a full surrender. Say, Lord, come in, just like I did. Why not say, Lord, I give you the keys of my life. I invite you to come in. I invite you to come in and take charge. Forgive me, cleanse me, fill me, wash me clean and give me new purpose and peace and hope. In Jesus' name. And I make a choice, Lord, to follow you and fulfil your great purpose for my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. How do you see the future, Dave? Well, I think we're in a really interesting time right now, aren't we? Coming out of this pandemic, and um, I think we're in a critical season. Firstly, for the church, you know, I think there's the whole sense of we need to restore people's well-being, but I think we need to restore the health and well-being of the, the, the the body. And I, you know, I'm connected to pastors all around the UK and around the world, and I think many of us are encouraged at the sense of regathering that's taking place. Uh, people belonging again, people serving again. But I'm also burdened by the fact that many people are still not reconnected. So I think we need the church back to full health. We need to start doing mission again, as we've talked about. And then we need to pray, don't we? Let's pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because I think without revival, where's this nation and the nations going to head up? So I'm expectant, I'm hopeful, and I'm burdened for a new move of God in our day and in our time. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord did what he did back in the 18th century, but different. And we saw another great awakening and we all get to be part of it. That's what I long for.
0: Absolutely, Dave. For you, uh, revival, as you think of revival for today, how do you perceive it?
1: Well, I do think there's this sense of, what was it, um, the Hebridean revival. They talked about community saturated with God. And so I do think we need to believe for, um, I don't know exactly how it's going to look like because I think it's going to be different in every generation. But I do think at the heart of it, it's about firstly the glory of God coming on his people in a new way because revival starts with the house of God. But somehow I think it's going to be different and I think it's going to be about people going out into their places of work, out to their neighborhoods almost like carriers of the presence of God. And that what I long for and I don't think we've really seen it in our lifetime. certainly not in the mainland, where literally the Spirit of God just starts coming on people who are not, Christ- not yet Christians, a proper awakening. And in their schools, their colleges, you suddenly get people sort of arrested by the presence of God, aware of their need of Him. So I think there's an inside work, there's like the revival, increase the presence of God but overflowing and then of course as lots and lots of non-Christians start coming and they find their way into our churches and we have to build bigger and bigger buildings or all kinds of different ways of gathering them of course then we want to see the revival go into a full kind of transformation of society where you know our politics changes our education system changes and we start bringing this nation the nations back to the foundations of the bible on which
0: much of the western world of course was built Amen, Dave. Amen. You, Dave, and uh, your wife, Karen, uh, are two of the most gracious people uh, that Killy and I know. And uh, we thank God for our friendship with both you and Karen. And it's wonderful to hear what's happened and what God is doing and what God can do. Yeah. Dave, always an inspiration. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon.
1: Likewise. Thank you, John.
0: Great privilege. I hope that has inspired you and if you did pray that prayer, our prayer for you is that you will keep on keeping on and read the Bible and find a local church. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again.
2: You've been listening to the J. John podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and other curious questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.